Section 17 of Dangerous Connections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dangerous Connections by Pierre Coderlot de la Clos. Section 17, letters 81 to 84. Letter the 81st, the Marquise de Merteuil to the Vicomte de Valmont. How your fears excite my pity! How they prove to me my superiority over you! And you want to teach me to be my guide? Ah, my poor Valmont, what a distance there is between you and me! No, all the pride of your sex would not suffice to bridge over the gulf which separates us. Because you could not execute my projects, you judge them impossible. Proud and weak being, it well becomes you to seek to weigh my means and judge of my resources. In truth, Vicomte, your counsels have put me in an ill humour, and I will not conceal it from you. That, to mask your incredible stupidity with your president, you should blazon on to me as a triumph the fact of your having for a moment put out of countenance this woman who is timid and who loves you. I agree to that, of having obtained a look, a single look. I smile, and I granted you that feeling in spite of yourself the poor value of your conduct you should hope to distract my attention from it by gratifying me with the story of your sublime effort to bring together two children who are both burning to see one another and who i may mention by the way owe to me alone the ardour of their desire i grant you that also that finally you should feel authorized by these brilliant achievements to write to me in doctorial tones that it is better to employ one's time in carrying out one's projects than in describing them such vanity does me no harm and i forgive it but that you could believe that i had need of your prudence that i should lose my way unless i deferred to your advice and that i ought to sacrifice a pleasure or a whim in truth vicomte that is indeed to plume yourself over much on the confidence which i am quite willing to place in you and pray what have you done that i have not surpassed a thousand times you have seduced, ruined even, very many women, but what difficulties have you had to overcome? What obstacles to surmount? What merit lies therein that is really your own? A handsome face, the pure result of chance, graces which habit almost always brings, wit in truth, but jargon would supply its place at need a praiseworthy impudence perhaps due solely to the ease of your first successes if i am not mistaken these are your means for as for the celebrity you have succeeded in acquiring you will not ask me i suppose to count for much the art of giving birth to a scandal or seizing the opportunity of one as for prudence finesse i do not speak of myself but where is the woman who has not more than you why your presidente leads you like a child believe me vicomte it is rarely one acquires qualities which cannot be dispensed with fighting without risk you are bound to act without precaution for you men a defeat is but one success the less in so unequal a match we are fortunate if we do not lose as it is your misfortune if you do not win even were i to grant you as many talents as ourselves by how many should we not still need to surpass you from the necessity we are under to make a perpetual use of them 
supposing i admit that you brought as much skill to the task of conquering us as we show in defending ourselves or in yielding you will at least agree that it becomes useless to you after your success absorbed solely in your new fancy you abandon yourself to it without fear without reserve it is not to you that its duration is important in fact those bonds reciprocally given and received to talk love's jargon you alone can tighten or break at your will we are even lucky if in your wantonness preferring mystery to noise you are satisfied with a humiliating desertion without making the idol of yesterday the victim of to-morrow but when an unfortunate woman has once felt the weight of her chain what risks she has to run if she but endeavours to shake it off it is only with trembling that she can attempt to dismiss from her the man whom her heart repulses with violence does he insist on remaining she must yield to fear what she has granted to love ses bras s'ouvrent encore quand son cœur est ferme her prudence must skilfully unravel those same bonds which you would have broken at the mercy of her enemy if he be without generosity she is without resources and how can she hope generosity from him when although he is sometimes praised for having it he is never blamed for lacking it doubtless you will not deny these truths which are so evident as to have become trivial if however you have seen me disposing of opinions and events making these formidable men the toys of my fantasy and my caprice depriving some of the power some of the will to hurt me if i have known turn by turn according to my fickle fancy how to attach to my service or drive far away from me ces tyrans détrônés devenus mes esclaves note we are unaware whether this line these tyrants dragged from off their thrones and made my slaves as well as that which occurs above her arms are open still her heart is shut all quotations from little-known works are part of the prose of madame de merteuil what would lead us to believe the latter is the number of faults of this nature which are found in all the letters of this correspondence those of the chevalier d'anceny form the only exception perhaps as he sometimes occupied himself with poetry his more practised ear rendered it easier for him to avoid this fault if in the midst of these frequent revolutions my reputation has still remained pure ought you not to have concluded that being born to avenge my sex and to dominate yours i had devised methods previously unknown oh keep your advice and your fears for those delirious women who call themselves sentimental whose exalted imagination would make one believe that nature has placed their senses in their heads who having never reflected persist in confounding love with the lover who in their mad illusion believe that he with whom they have pursued pleasure is its sole depository and truly superstitious show the priest the respect and faith which is only due to the divinity be still more afraid of those who their vanity being larger than their prudence do not know at need how to consent to being abandoned tremble above all for those women active in their indolence whom you call women of sensibility and over whom love takes hold so easily and with such power who feel the need of being occupied with it even when they are not enjoying it and giving themselves up unreservedly to the fermentation of their ideas bring forth from them those letters so sweet but so dangerous to write and are not afraid to confide these proofs of their weakness to the object which causes it imprudent ones who do not know how to discern in their present lover their enemy to be 
"'But what have I in common with these unreflecting women? "'When have you ever seen me depart from the rules I have laid down, "'or be false to my principles? "'I say my principles, and I say so designedly, "'for they are not, like those of other women, the result of chance, "'received without scrutiny and followed out by habit. "'They are the fruit of my profound reflections.' I have created them, and I may say that I am my own handiwork. Entering the world at a time when, still a girl, I was compelled by my condition to be silent and inert, I knew how to profit by observing and reflecting. Whilst I was thought heedless or inattentive, and, in truth, listened little to the remarks that they were careful to make to me, I carefully gathered up those which they sought to hide from me. This useful curiosity, while serving to instruct me, also taught me dissimulation, often forced to conceal the objects of my attention from the eyes of those who surrounded me, I sought to direct my own whither I desired. I learned then how to assume at will that remote look which you have so often praised. Encouraged by this first success, I tried to govern equally the different movements of my face. Did I express some vexation, I studied to assume an air of serenity, even of joy. I have carried my zeal so far as to inflict voluntary pain on myself, in order to seek, at that time, an expression of pleasure. I laboured, with the same care and greater difficulty, to repress the symptoms of unexpected joy. It was thus that I gained that command over my physiognomy at which I have sometimes seen you so astonished. I was very young still, and almost without interest. My thoughts were all that I had, and I was indignant that these should be stolen from me or surprised against my will. Armed with these first weapons, I amused myself by showing myself under different forms. Sure of my gestures, I kept a watch upon my speech. I regulated both according to circumstances, or even merely according to my whim. From that moment the colour of my thought was my secret, and I never revealed more of it than it was useful for me to show. This labour spent upon myself had fixed my attention on the expression of faces and the character of physiognomy and I thus gained that penetrating glance to which experience, indeed, has taught me not to trust entirely, but which, on the whole, has rarely deceived me. I was not fifteen years old, I possessed already the talents to which the greater part of our politicians owe their reputation, and I was as yet only at the rudiments of the science which I wished to acquire. You may well imagine that, like all young girls, I sought to find out about love and its pleasures, but having never been to the convent, having no confidential friend, and being watched by a vigilant mother, I had only vague notions which I could not fix. Even nature, which later I had assuredly no reason to do aught but praise, as yet afforded me no hint. One might have said that it was working in silence at the perfection of its handiwork. My head alone was in a ferment. I did not desire enjoyment. I wanted to know. The desire for information suggested to me the means. I felt that the only man with whom I could speak on this matter without compromising myself was my confessor. I took my course at once, I surmounted my slight feeling of shame, and, vaunting myself for a sin which I had not committed, I accused myself of having done all that women do. That was my expression, but in speaking so, I did not know, in truth, what idea I was expressing. My hope was not altogether deceived, nor entirely fulfilled, 
the fear of betraying myself prevented me from enlightening myself but the good father represented the ill as so great that i concluded the pleasure to be extreme and to the desire of knowing it the desire of tasting it succeeded i do not know whither this desire would have led me and devoid of experience as i was at that time perhaps a single opportunity would have ruined me luckily for me my mother informed me a few days later that i was to be married the certainty of knowing extinguished my curiosity of once and i came a virgin to the arms of m de merteuil i waited with calmness for the moment which was to enlighten me and i had need of reflection in order to exhibit embarrassment and fear the first night of which ordinarily one entertains an idea so painful or so sweet presented itself to me only as an occasion of experience pain and pleasure i observed all carefully and saw in these different sensations only facts upon which to reflect and meditate this form of study soon succeeded in pleasing me but faithful to my principles and feeling by instinct perhaps that no one ought to be further from my confidence than my husband i resolved to appear the more impassive in his eyes the more sensible i really was this apparent coldness was subsequently the impregnable foundation of his blind confidence as a second reflection i joined to it the mischievous air which my age justified and he never thought me more of a child than when I was tricking him most. Meanwhile, I will admit, I, at first, let myself be dragged into the vortex of society, and gave myself up completely to its futile distractions. But after some months, Monsieur de Merteuil having taken me to his dismal country estate, the dread of ennui revived the taste of study in me and as i found myself there surrounded by people whose distance from me put me out of the reach of all suspicion i profited by it to give a vaster field to my experience it was there especially that i assured myself that love which they vaunt to us at the cause of our pleasures is at the most only the pretext for them the illness of m de merteuil came to interrupt these sweet occupations it was necessary to follow him to town where he went to seek for aid he died as you know shortly afterwards and although considering all things i had no complaint to make against him i had none the less a lively feeling of the value of the liberty which my widowhood would give me and I promised myself to take advantage of it. My mother calculated on my entering a convent, or returning to live with her. I refused to take either course, and all I granted to decency was to go back to the same country estate where there were still some observations left for me to make. I supplemented these with the help of reading, but not imagine it was all of the kind you suppose i studied our manners in novels our opinions in the philosophers i even went to the most severe moralists to see what they expected from us and i thus made sure of what one could do of what one ought to think and of how one must appear my mind once settled upon these three matters the last alone presented any difficulties in execution i hoped to overcome them and i meditated on the means i began to grow tired of my rustic pleasures which were not varied enough for my active brain i felt the need of coquetry which should reunite me to love not in order that i might really feel it but to feign and inspire it in vain had i been told and had i read that one could not feign this sentiment i saw that to succeed there it sufficed to join the talent of a comedian to an author's wit i exercised myself in both kinds and perhaps with some success 
but instead of seeking the vain applause of the theatre i resolved to employ for my happiness that which so many others sacrificed to vanity a year passed in these different occupations my mourning then allowed me to reappear i returned to town with my great projects i was not prepared for the first obstacle which i encountered my long solitude and austere retreat had covered me with a veneer of prudery which frightened our beau they kept their distance and left me at the mercy of a crowd of tedious fellows who were all aspirants for my hand the embarrassment did not lie in refusing them but many of these refusals displeased my family and in these internal disputes i lost the time of which i had promised myself to make such charming use i was obliged then in order to recall some and drive away the others to display certain inconsistencies and to take as much pains in damaging my reputation as i had thought to take in preserving it i succeeded easily as you may believe but being carried away by no passion i only did what i thought necessary and measured out my doses of indiscretion with caution as soon as i had touched the goal which i would attain i retraced my steps and gave the honour of my amendment to some of those women who being impotent as far as any pretensions to charm are concerned fall back on those of merit and virtue this was a move which was of more value to me than i had hoped these grateful duennas set themselves up as my apologists and their blind seal for what they called their work was carried to such an extent that at the least reflection which might be made on me the whole party of prudes cried scandal and outrage the same method procured me also the suffrages of women with pretensions who being persuaded that i had renounced the thought of following the same career as theirs selected me as a subject for their praise each time they wished to prove that they did not speak ill of all the world meanwhile my previous conduct had brought back the lovers and to compromise between them and the unfaithful women who had become my patronesses i passed as a woman of sensibility but rigour whom the excess of her delicacy furnished with arms against love i then began to display upon the great stage the talents which had been given me my first care was to acquire the reputation of being invincible to attain it the men who did not please me were always the only ones whose homage i had the air of accepting i employed them usefully to obtain for me the honours of resistance while to the preferred lover i abandoned myself without fear but the latter my pretended shyness never permitted to follow me in the world and the gaze of society has thus been always fixed on the unhappy lover you know with which rapidity i choose it is because i have observed that it is nearly always the previous attentions which disclose a woman's secret whatever one may say the tone is never the same before and after success this difference does not escape the attentive observer and i have found it less dangerous to be deceived in my choice than to let that choice be penetrated i gain here again by removing probabilities by which alone we can be judged these precautions and that of never writing of never giving any proof of my defeat might appear excessive and to me have ever appeared insufficient i have looked into my own heart i have studied in it the heart of others I saw there that there is nobody who does not keep a secret there which it is of importance to him should not be divulged, a truth which antiquity seems to have known better than we, and of which the history of Samson might be no more than an ingenious symbol. Like a new Delilah I have always employed my power in surprising this important secret ah of how many of our modern samsons have not the locks fallen beneath my shears 
and these i have ceased to fear them they are the only ones i have sometimes permitted myself to humiliate more subtle with the others the art of rendering them unfaithful lest i should appear to them fickle a feint of friendship an appearance of confidence a few generous measures the flattering notion which each one retains of having been my only lover have secured me their discretion finally when these methods failed me foreseeing the rupture i knew how to crush in advance beneath ridicule or calumny the credence which these dangerous men could have obtained all this which i tell you you have seen me practice unceasingly and you doubt of my prudence ah indeed recall to mind the time when you paid me your first attentions no homage was ever more flattering to me i desired you before i had ever seen you seduced by your reputation it seemed to me that you were wanting to my glory i burned with a desire for a hand-to-hand -hand combat with you it is the only one of my fancies which ever had a moment's empire over me however if you had wished to destroy me what means would you have found empty talk which leaves no trace behind it which your very reputation would have helped to render suspect and a tissue of improbable facts the sincere relation of which would have had the air of a badly conceived novel it is true since that time i have handed you over all my secrets but you know what interests unite us and that if it be one of us it is not i who can be taxed with imprudence note it will appear in letter the hundred and fifty second not what monsieur de valmont's secret was but more or less of what nature it was and the reader will see that we have not been able to enlighten him further on the subject since i have started off to render account to you i will do it precisely i hear you tell me now that i am at any rate at the mercy of my chambermaid in fact if she is not in the secret of my sentiments she is of my actions when you spoke of it to me once before i answered that i was sure of her and my proof that this reply was sufficient then for your tranquillity is that you have since confided to her mighty dangerous secrets of your own but now that you have taken umbrage at prevent and that your head is turned i doubt whether you will believe me any more on my word i must therefore edify you in the first place the girl is my foster-sister and this bond which does not seem one to us is not without force amongst people of her condition in addition i have her secret and better still the victim of a love madness she was ruined if i had not saved her her parents bristling with honour would be satisfied by nothing less than her imprisonment they applied to me i saw at a glance how useful their anger might be made to me i seconded them and solicited the order which i obtained then suddenly turning to the side of clemency to which i persuaded her parents and profiting by my influence with the old minister i made them all consent to make me the depositary of this order free to stay it or demand its execution according to the judgment i should form of the girl's future conduct she knows then that i have her lot within my hands and if to assume the impossible these potent reasons should not prevent her is it not evident that the revelation of her conduct and her authentic punishment would soon deprive her language of all credit to these precautions which i call fundamental are joined a thousand others local or occasional which habit and reflection allow me to find at need of which the details would be tedious although their practice is important and which you must take the trouble to pick out from the general view of my conduct if you would succeed in knowing them 
but to pretend that i have been at so much pains and i am not to cull the fruit of them that after having raised myself by my arduous labours so high above other women i am to consent to grope along like them betwixt imprudence and timidity that above all i should fear any man to such an extent as to see no other salvation than in flight no vicomte never i must conquer or perish as for prevan i wish to have him and i shall have him he wishes to tell of it and he shall not tell of it that in two words is our little romance adieu paris twentieth of september seventeen letter the eighty-second cecile volange to the chevalier danceny oh god what pain your letter gave me i need well have felt such impatience to receive it i hoped to find in it consolation and here i am more afflicted than i was ere i received it i shed many tears when i read it it is not that with which i reproach you i have already wept many times because of you without its being painful to me but this time it is not the same thing what is it that you wish to say pray that your love is grown a torment to you that you cannot longer live thus nor any more support your situation do you mean that you are going to cease to love me because it is not so agreeable as it used to be it seems to me that i am no happier than you are quite the contrary and yet i only love you the more for that if monsieur de valmont has not written to you it is not my fault i could not beg him to because i have not been alone with him and we have agreed that we would never speak before people and that again is for your sake so that he can the better do what you desire i do not say that i do not desire it also and you ought to be assured of this but what would you have me do if you believe it to be so easy please find the means i ask nothing better do you think it is so very agreeable for me to be scolded every day by mamma who once never said anything to me quite the contrary now it is worse than if i were at the convent i consoled myself for it however by reflected that it was for you there were even moments when i found i was quite content but when i see that you are vexed too without its being in the least my fault i have more grief than i had for all that has hitherto happened to me even merely to receive your letters is embarrassing so that if monsieur de valmont were not so obliging and so clever as he is i should not know what to do and as to writing to you that is more difficult still all the morning i dare not because mamma is close by me and she may come at any moment into my room sometimes i am able to in the afternoon under pretence of singing or playing on the harp even then i have to interrupt myself after every line to let them hear i am studying luckily my waiting-maid sometimes grows sleepy in the evening and i tell her that i can quite well get to bed by myself so that she may go away and leave me the light and then i am obliged to get behind my curtain so that no light can be seen and then to listen for the least sound so that i can hide everything in my bed if any one comes i wish you were there to see you would soon see that one must indeed love any one to do it in short it is quite true that i do all that i can and i would it lay within my power to do more certainly i do not refuse to tell you that i love you and that i shall always love you i never told it you with a fuller heart and you are vexed yet you had assured me before i said it that that was enough to make you happy you cannot deny it it is in your letters although i have them no longer i remember them as well as when i used to read them every day and you because you are absent now no longer think the same but perhaps this absence will not always last ah oh god how unhappy i am and it is indeed you who are the cause of it with regard to your letters i hope that you have kept those which mamma took from me and which she sent back to you 
A time must come, some day, when I shall not be so restrained as at present, and you will give them all back to me. How happy I shall be when I am able to see them! Now I return them to Monsieur de Valmont, because there would be too much danger otherwise. In spite of that, I never give them to him without feeling a deal of pain. Adieu, my dear friend. I love you with all my heart. I shall love you all my life. I hope that now you are no longer vexed, and, were I sure of it, I should not be so myself. Write to me as soon as you are able, for I feel that till then I shall continue sad. At the Chateau de 21st of September, 17. Letter the 83rd The Vicomte de Valmont to the President de Tourvel for mercy's sake madame let us repeat that interview which was so unhappily broken oh that i could complete my work of proving to you how much i differ from the odious portrait which has been made of me that above all i could again enjoy that amiable confidence which you began to grant me oh how many are the charms with which you know how to endow virtue how you beautify and render dear every virtuous sentiment ah oh, therein lies your fascination it is the strongest it is the only one which is at once powerful and worthy of respect doubtless it is enough to see you to desire to please you to hear you in company or that desire to be redoubled but he who has the happiness of knowing you better who can sometimes read in your soul soon yields to a more noble enthusiasm and penetrated by veneration as by love worships in you the image of all the virtues better made than another perhaps to love and follow them although seduced by certain errors which had separated me from them it is you who have brought me back who have caused me to feel anew all their charm will you make a crime of this new love of mine will you blame your handiwork would you reproach yourself even with the interest which you might take in it what harm is to be feared from so pure a sentiment and what sweetness might there not be to taste in it my love alarms you you find it violent unrestrained temper it with a gentler love do not disdain the empire which i offer you from which i swear never to escape and which i dare believe would not be entirely lost to virtue what sacrifice could seem hard to me once sure that your heart could keep its price for me where is the man then who is so unhappy as not to know how to delight in the privations which he imposes on himself as not to prefer a word a glance accorded to all the pleasures which he could steal or surprise and you believed that i was such a man and you feared me why does not your happiness depend on my own what vengeance i would take on you by rendering you happy but this gentle empire is no result of a barren friendship it is only due to love that word frightens you and why a more tender attachment a stronger union a common thought a like happiness and a like pain what is there in that alien to your soul yet love is all that such at least is the love which you inspire and i experience it is that above all which calculating without interest 
knows how to appreciate actions according to their merit and not their price it is the inexhaustible treasure of sensitive souls and all things become precious that are done for or by it what then have these truths so easy to grasp so sweet to practice that can alarm what fear either can a man of sensibility cause you to whom love permits no other happiness than your own this is the solitary vow i make to-day i will sacrifice all to fulfil it except the sentiment by which it is inspired and this sentiment itself if you do but consent to share it you shall order as you will but let us suffer it no longer to divide us when it should unite us if the friendship you have offered me is not an idle word if as you told me yesterday it is the sweetest sentiment known to your soul let that be the bond between us i will not reject it but being arbiter of love let it consent to listen to it a refusal to hear it would become an injustice and friendship is not unjust a second interview will present no greater difficulty than the first chance can again furnish the occasion you could yourself indicate the right moment i am willing to believe that i am wrong would you not be better pleased to convince me than to combat me and do you doubt my docility if that inopportune third party had not come to interrupt us perhaps i had already been brought round entirely to your opinion who knows the full extent of your power shall i say it to you this invincible power to which i abandon myself without venturing on calculation this irresistible charm which renders you sovereign of my thoughts as of my actions it comes to me sometimes to fear them alas perhaps it is i who should be afraid of this interview for which i ask after it perhaps bound by my promises i shall see myself compelled to consume away with a love which i am well aware can never be extinguished without daring to implore your aid oh madame for mercy's sake do not abuse your authority but what then if you are to be the happier for it if i am thereby to appear worthier of you what pains are not alleviated by these consoling ideas yes i feel it to speak again with you is to give you stronger arms against me it is to submit myself more entirely to your will it is easier to defend myself against your letters they are indeed your very utterances but you are not there to lend them fresh strength however the pleasure of hearing you leads me to brave the danger at least i shall have the pleasure of having dared everything for you even against myself and my sacrifices will become an homage i am too happy to prove to you in a thousand manners as i feel in a thousand fashions that you are and ever will be without excepting myself the object dearest to my heart at the chateau de twenty-third september seventeen Letter the eighty-fourth, the Vicomte de Valmont to Cécile Volanges. You saw how greatly the chance was against us yesterday. 
all day long i was unable to hand you the letter which i had for you i know not whether i shall find it any easier to-day i am afraid of compromising you by showing more zeal than discretion and i should never forgive myself for an imprudence which might prove so fatal to you and cause the despair of my friend by rendering you eternally miserable however i am aware of the impatience of love i feel how painful it must be to you in your situation to meet with any delay in the only consolation you can know at this moment by dint of busying myself with the means of removing the obstacles i have found one the execution of which if you take some pains will be easy i think i have remarked that the key of the door of your chamber which opens into the corridor is always on your mamma's mantel-shelf everything would be easy with this key you must be well aware but in default of it i will procure you one like it which will serve in its stead to succeed in this it will be sufficient to have the other at my disposition for an hour or two you will easily find an opportunity for taking it and in order that its absence may not be noticed i enclose in this one of my own which is so far like it that no difference will be seen unless they try it this they are not likely to do you must only take care to tie it to a faded blue ribbon like that which is on your own it would be well to try and have this key by to-morrow or the day after at breakfast time because it will be easier for you to give it me then and it can be returned to its place in the evening a time when your mamma might pay more attention to it i shall be able to return it to you at dinner-time if we arrange well you know that when we move from the salon to the dining-room it is always madame de rosemonde who walks last i shall give her my hand you will only have to take some time in putting away your tapestry or even to let something drop so that you may remain behind you will then see how to take the key from me which i shall be careful to hold behind me you must not neglect as soon as you have taken it to rejoin my old aunt and pay her a few attentions if by chance you should let the key fall do not lose your countenance i will feign that it was done by me and i answer for everything the lack of confidence your mamma shows in you and her harsh behaviour towards you authorise this little deception it is moreover the only way to continue to receive the letters of danceny and to forward him yours all others are really too dangerous and might ruin you both irretrievably thus my prudent friendship would reproach itself were i to employ them further once having the key there remain some precautions for us to take against the noise of door and lock but they are very easy you will find beneath the same press where i placed your paper oil and a feather you sometimes go to your room at times when you are alone there you must profit by it to oil the lock and hinges the only attention you need pay is to be careful of stains which might betray you you had better wait also until night arrives because if it be done with the intelligence of which you are capable there will be no trace of it on the following morning if however it should be perceived then you must say that it is the indoor polisher <laughs> 
you must in this case specify the time and even the conversation which you had with him as for instance that he takes this precaution against rust with all the locks which are not in use for you see that it would be unlikely that you should have witnessed this proceeding without asking the reason it is these little details which give probability and probability renders a lie without consequence by diminishing people's desire to verify it after you have read this letter i beg you to read it again and even to study it to begin with one should be well acquainted with what one wishes to do well next to assure yourself that i have omitted nothing little accustomed to employ finesse on my own account i have no great use for it indeed it needed nothing less than my keen friendship for danceny and the interest which you inspire in me to induce me to employ these means however innocent they may be i hate anything which has the air of deception that is my character but your misfortunes have touched me to such a degree that i will attempt everything to alleviate them you can imagine that with this means of communication once established between us it will be far easier for me to procure for you the interview with danceny which he desires however do not yet speak to him of all this you would only increase his impatience and the moment for satisfying it is not yet quite arrived you owe it to him i think to calm rather than to excite him i depend in this matter on your delicacy adieu my fair pupil for you are my pupil love your tutor a little and above all be docile to him you will be rewarded i am occupied with your happiness rest assured that i shall find therein my own at the chateau de twenty fourth september seventeen End of section 17